For Syracuse University basketball fans, it's the most wonderful time of the year. The Orange are back practicing, and soon there'll be games at the Carrier Dome. But before we get there, we've got to learn about a team we don't know a lot about. There's a lot of new faces on the 2017-2018 Syracuse University Basketball Orange to try and do something last year's team could not get back to the NCAA Tournament. I talked with Syracuse.com's Mike Waters and Donna DeTota, two terrific beat reporters, about this year's team, recruiting, how much longer Jim Beheim's going to coach, everything you need to know right now about Syracuse basketball. Let's take a listen and merry basketball season, SU fans. Mike, Donna, welcome to another season. Can you believe it? Syracuse basketball rolling again. The most wonderful time of the year, right, Mike? That's right. It's Christmas time for basketball writers and basketball fans everywhere. It's like the commercial. It's the most one. So, yeah, no. I'm excited. I think it's been a good fun year. I'm excited and I'm intrigued, Donna, because this has got to be one of the more, you know, unknown teams that we've come into, one of the most unknown seasons we've come into for a while. So, in those early observations at practice with so much to get to know, what what are the key things that you're looking out for so far? Well, you know, six out of the ten guys were not on the team last year. Uh, so there's a plenty, plenty to look at, plenty of things to try to figure out as you're sitting there during practice. You, you know, guys I, only get a half hour, right, to watch practice, so you're, you're going as fast as you can. Yeah, I mean, you kind of, kind of try to devote, like, a certain segment of each day to a certain player. Like, that's what I do anyway. I try to look at, like, yesterday I was watching Merrick shoot, free, shoot jump shots. Uh, before that, the day before that, I was watching the new guards. You know, every day I try to watch somebody new and try to see how they move, try to see what their shooting form looks like, try to see a whole bunch of different things. So you brought up Merrick. There's a new name right there. And it, we were discussing this the other day. Is it Merrick Doljak? Doljak? Are we still figuring this out? We're still getting to know these guys, right? I haven't had a chance to ask him straight out yet. I've been going with Doljak. Okay. I believe Jim Beheim referred to him as the Slovenian guy at some point I, I, in the offseason. We're all getting to know him, it, it appears. Yeah, I've been referring to him as Merrick. That Not works. even going there. Just, the last just yeah. we'll, yeah. he's like Pele or Madonna. Exactly we'll right. Just exactly. We all know there. who we're talking about. That's right. What kind of player are we talking about? What, what do we know about him? And, and what do you think? You know, Jim Beheim is really going to lean on him to do this year, from what we know. Uh, well, from what I know, is he's supposed to be an athletic, bouncy guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he's a prototypical European big man, the guy who can go out and shoot the three. That's what they've been working on a lot with him in early in these practices. Um, I love his release point. He shoots the ball really high. Uh, I don't know if he gets it off super quick, but I'm sure that's something that they're trying to trying to work on him with as well. Uh, what do you think, Mike? I talked with Adrian Autry, who works with the forwards a lot, uh, just the other day, and he said that they had worked with Merrick um, ever since he got here on the shot, uh, trying to raise the release point, actually, that, which Donna mentioned that he wanted to get up by. So maybe that's why it's a little slow right now, because he's still kind of adjusting to a new form. Um, but that wasn't his strength. He is a slash get-to-the-basket sort of guy. When he played for Slovakia in the FIBA tournament in Europe earlier this year, uh, he led the tournament, all the players in the tournament, in free throw attempts. So he was getting into the lane, getting fouled, and I think he was like third or fourth in the tournament in free throw percentage. So not only does he get fouled and get to the line, but he makes it pay. And you've seen him at practice now. One thing that, that's clear is he's got to get bigger, right? He's got to bulk <laughs> up a little bit. I mean, he, that was the kind of the – we knew coming in he was a little skinnier and, you know, like you said, not the prototypical European player, but uh, certainly you look at him and say, okay, 
Ryan Cabillas and crew has got to get to work on this kid, right? Yeah, he's he's a little thin, especially thin through the shoulders and the chest, but that'll come. And and the game's not as physical as it used to be back in the days of the Big East in the early 90s. They, they call fouls now, so it's more of an athletic game, and he might benefit from some freedom of movement emphasis. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to be grinded in the post anyway, so he doesn't need no. to be super big. Yeah. While we're on the subject of new players coming from elsewhere, Syracuse has a new uh, transfer guard, and we saw how successful the transfers were last year, and, and John Gillen and Andrew White. So they've gone down that road again. Tell me about Geno Thorpe, who comes in from South Florida, and, and how much you think he's going to contribute uh, at least right away. Well, I think the thing they desperately need from him is scoring. You know, who's going to score this year? He's a guy who averaged almost 16 a game at South Florida. He shot the three pretty well at South Florida. And those are two things Syracuse is really, really going to need from him this year, I think. Yeah, Looking at Geno Thorpe and watching the, all the guards, if they want to get some more experience and a little bit more offense out on the court, they could play Frank Howard, Geno Thorpe, and Tyus Battle together. They could give them a three-guard look. And you think, well, on the defensive end, that's going to mean Tyus Battle is on the back line. But over the last two years, they've had Andrew White and Malachi Richardson there. And Tyus is about the same size, a year older than Malachi, rebounds better than Andrew White. So he might make it work. So maybe we do see a little bit of a three-guard look, and it's all because of what Geno can give them, really. And while we're on the guards, you brought up Geno. One of the new faces on this team is, is a freshman, Howard Washington. And, you know, with, with Tyus and Frank, who we'll get to in a moment here, there's, there's your experience, guys. There's the, the players that, you know, Jim Beheim will naturally lean on. But, you know, how much have you seen from Howard Washington that makes you think that he's going to get on the floor, he's going to play, if at all? I've only seen him in two practices. Donna went up and saw him at his school up in Canada, so I'm going to defer to Donna on this one. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think he's a little bit better than people might think he is. I mean, I think he's a pretty versatile kid. He can shoot the ball. He can put it on the floor. Um, you know, he's a pretty smart, pretty savvy player. He's got good size. Um, and, and like Mike said, I think they're going to use a lot of guards. I mean, I think the guards this year is where they're going to get most of their scoring from. Um, that, and I think O'Shea can score the ball too. Um, but I think that's where they're going to get a lot of their scoring from. And and I, I love the idea of the three-guard lineup. And I think Howard really, really can help. I, I do. I mean, I I, I, I think that, he's gonna, that the, a lot of the guards are going to play, and I think he's going to be one of the guards who's... Yeah, Jim Bayham's told me a couple different times that since getting the commitment from Howard Washington and getting him on campus that... Jim admitted I might have underrated him a little bit. He's better than I thought. I don't know if Jim's really admitting that he didn't quite size the kid up or if he's just maybe hoping that the kid's a little bit better than they than he, and maybe he will contribute. It's I mean, always I think interesting. He the, I think he, yeah. he shoots the ball pretty well. I mean, the yeah. last few practices I've watched, he's really shot the ball well, and I think the, he shot the ball well when I saw him in Canada too. Well, he, it's interesting to bring that up because I was talking to Jim in the off season a little bit, and he brought up Howard Washington and O'Shea Brissett in the same way, and that they did not get you know evaluated in the traditional recruiting way. O'Shea's coming from Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, Howard was in Canada a little bit, but spent some time in Buffalo as well. So. I don't know what their rankings would be had they gone through kind of that traditional recruiting model. Maybe they'd be a little higher, but still, you know, a very talented players that fans are looking forward to. We mentioned Howard. Let's bring O'Shea Brissett into the conversation because it seems like some former players and some people that have been at practice are really impressed, like that first look. Like he passes that look test when you see him. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, probably more than any other of the freshmen that they bring in. I think it's because of his size. You know, he's... Not huge, but he's a little bit bigger and stronger than than your average freshman. Um, I think he carries himself well. He attacks the basket. He's, uh, to use uh, Donna's phrase, he's bouncy. 
I think the whole team's bouncy, actually. They're, they're long too. and athletic. They're really long and really athletic. I you know, totally agree. They cover sounds a lot like of ground. a Syracuse team, Yeah, right? it sounds like yeah. a typical yeah. Syracuse team. Yeah, they, they are. They cover a ton of ground, and, and guys have, have most of the guys have really good quickness, too. And so it'll be interesting. It, you know, Donna mentioned that O'Shea might be, like, the first forward you look to for offense. I could definitely see that uh, coming from him. Not he's going to be he's going to be terrific in transition too. I mean, he he runs the floor really well. He's a really really good athlete. Whether he can make three point shots, that remains to be seen. But I don't think they're going to lean on him too much to shoot threes this year. All right, he's so let's have to help him rebounding wise too. You mentioned rebounding. Let's flip the script and look on the defensive side of the ball because this just in Syracuse is going to play that two three. These guys match that. You know, you're the, giving the, away the strategy. I know. I'm burying the lead. As a matter of fact, here we are, eight minutes into this podcast. But you know, you just kind of touched on it there, Donna. It seems like these guys fit that model of what Jim Beheim goes out and looks for. But there's so much inexperience coming in. So how do you, you know, crash course these guys into that two-three zone and get it to be effective as, as early as you can? You know, sometimes when we talk about a freshman not learning the zone. It's because the freshman doesn't really want to play defense all that hard. Uh, the zone isn't that intricate, and it's not calculus. It's following your assignments and hustling. And, and sometimes if you don't hustle, well, you're going to get burned. And it's like, oh, he wasn't where he's supposed to have been. Well, it's not because he didn't know. Now, the centers, I think, have it tough. Because there's an instinctual quality to the centers and their assignments. Like, when do they come up and challenge at the high post? When do they stay back? And for big guys, they have to move quite a bit. So sometimes I do think a younger center can struggle unless he's just got great instincts for the game. But um, I think the kids can learn the zone. I mean, Tyus Battle played pretty well last year. Tyus Ennis was, you know, Tyler Ennis was a freshman playing the zone, played it pretty well. And, you know, it's not that complicated. It's, it's not complicated, but it is tough to play against teams that shoot the ball pretty well. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, that's the biggest challenge, obviously, with a, with a team that plays zone, is getting out to the shooters and trying to cover the inside, too, especially if you've got dual threats. And then you have to pay attention to your scouting report as well. Because what the coaches will tell you to do on one night will be different on the other, depending on whether the other team's point guard can shoot 38% from three-point range or 28%. And you have to be aware of where the players are, who's where. And that's something maybe you don't have to worry about in high school. So that, that is part of the transition. Well, you brought up the centers. There's a name I forgot to mention there. And, Donna, you've written about this quite a bit, and that's Pascal. And now he's got the goggles, which uh, I remember you wrote last year, and he said it bothered him to wear that. Now, with all the eye surgeries and the things that he's gone through, he's going to have to do it. How is he adjusting to it, and, and what do you think he can contribute this year? Well, he is seven foot two, so what he contributed <laughs> is seven Get foot two. Get those arms out, baby. He's yeah. a very, very big young man. Um, and, you know, the thing, they're going to need him to protect the rim. I don't think he's going to score a whole lot. I mean, he can score on putbacks. I think he can score if they lob the ball up there. Um, but really, they're, they're going to need him to protect the rim. And I hope they run this year. I hope they can get some transition baskets, which means if they can get, if he can get some blocks in there, if if they can get some rebounds, I think they're going to be a better rebounding team. I really do. I think Matt Moyers are pretty tough scrappy rebounder. I think O'Shea is going to rebound the ball pretty well. I think Pascal can be better at rebounding. We haven't talked about Barama, who I think is a pretty mm-hmm. who hustles too. I mean, he hustles he'll hustle in there too. And, and they had some trouble last year rebounding the ball. I think they're going to be a little bit better. I hope and pray they're going to be a little bit better this year on the boards. Yeah, I think they'll be better. Last year's team was not a good rebounding team. They, they worked with a rebounding deficit the whole year. And the guards are going to have to rebound better. And I think they can because John Gillen was not in, you know, digging in there, and he wasn't big. He's, you know, six foot tall, 
according to the stats. <laughs> uh, you know, we all know he wasn't that big, but I think both defensively at the guard spot with a taller guy, whether it's Gino or Frank or whoever, and also with the rebounding-wise, I think both those things can improve. I'm learning a lot in this conversation. They're going to play 2-3 zone, and on the roster sheet, they don't always match what they really are That's in real the kind life. of info we bring, Dennis. We're bringing, <laughs> we are bringing the info in this podcast. This is fantastic. Well, let me see. Well, here's one thing that I noticed yesterday that I thought was super interesting. Um, Frank and Tyus, at various points during the early practice, the practice on the zone, we're stopping guys and saying, "Hey, you know that's not good enough. Mm. Like, like you, you got to get here, you got to get there." And I thought that was really telling and really interesting for a young team to have a couple of guys who are already sort of asserting their assertiveness. You that, know, if, if we talked about this year's team being young. You didn't see that last year because even though last year's team had some experience, the experience came from two guys that were new to the program. And I think early on, Andrew and John really didn't assert themselves as those leaders. They were just learning things too. Right. Uh, so they couldn't do what Frank and, and, and Tyus did yesterday, what Donna saw. Um, Tyler Roberson and Daywan had their own struggles and eventually weren't even in the starting lineup. So, yeah, they're inexperienced, but they do have experience in the backcourt. And if you want experience anywhere, I think it's at the guard spots. Experience up front doesn't help you all that much if you have inexperienced guards making bad decisions with the ball and not getting it to what the a, What a contrast in experience, though, in the backcourt. I want to get into that a little bit here, and I'll start with you, Mike. I mean, how much pressure is on Tyus Battle to not only do what he did last year but build on that and carry this team? He's the star. He's the projected first-round pick. And, we'll, you know, Frank Howard, who we'll talk about here in a moment, you know, we all saw what he went through last year, started 14 games, but, you know, lost some confidence out of the lineup, almost transferred and everything that we heard about in the offseason. And he's got to play a bigger role. So it's interesting to hear Donna say that, that he's taking command a little bit, but it's really all on Tyus at this point, isn't it? He's the lead dog. You know, he's the leading returning scorer, and you would imagine that the scoring average is going to go up his sophomore year because he's going to get featured more. Andrew White's gone, Gillen's gone, Tyler Lydon's gone. So, you know, he'll get the ball. He'll be asked to score. It could be tough at times until other guys on the team establish their ability to score as well because he'll be the focus of the other team's scouting reports. Donna, uh, one thing about Frank Howard that really intrigued me was you could see it on the court last year. Like, if he made a mistake, he'd be kind of peeking over his shoulder knowing that that call was going to come from Jim Bayon and he was going to pull him. Do you think Jim will change his approach with Frank, knowing that he's come around a little bit, he's a veteran, he's going to lean on him a little bit more? And what kind of player do you think he can be in kind of this 2.0 version of himself that we're all going to be looking for? Yeah, I'm not going to presume at all to imagine what Jim Beheim's going to do in terms yeah. of the way he coaches this year. But, but I will say, you know, I think Frank really has some talent. I mean, I think he's been sort of covered beneath this sort of lack of confidence over the last couple of years. And also, he's had a couple of injuries. He had, he had mono a couple of years ago. Last year, he had a rib injury. I don't know how much that affected the way he played or the way he was able to practice. Um, but, you know, he really has to regain his confidence, regain a little swagger, be the guy that he was in high school, where, you know, I watched him in high school make some spectacular passes. Um, you know, he has to be a guy who he, he, he understands the system. He understands what his coaches want. He just has to go out there and, and do it. There's a player missing from this roster, which was an intriguing drama over the summer and really would have been kind of the Robin to Tyus Battles Batman in a, in a lot of ways. And, and Donna, I'll start with you. Let's just recap for everybody. 
that's coming in here like, hey, what, what happened to that Torian Thompson guy? So he's at Seton Hall. He was at Syracuse one minute. He's there the next. What happened with that? Yeah, he's at Seton Hall. He's on the roster. He's got a uniform uh, in, on, in the team picture. Um, you, you know, it was a, a sort of a strange summer with Torian in that I think uh, Torian did not want to be at Syracuse. I think the coaches wanted him to be at Syracuse. There was just, there were discussions. Uh, there was some concern that he wasn't here over the summer uh, for summer school. Um, and he ended up going back home and, and being closer to his, his mom, who he's very close with. And uh, that's what happened. Mike, what kind of player could he have been in that sophomore year? We saw so many flashes of that athleticism last year and how good he is around the basket. And Syracuse really needed an anchor down there. And they don't have it now. At least we're going to wait and see who kind of takes that role. But, you know, I think if Thompson's on this team, you've got two potential first-round picks out there that we know about. We'll see who develops into that role this year. I, I think he is that good. He's very good and offensively skilled. A few shortcomings rebounding-wise and defense-wise, maybe that was just youth, but the ability to score for a young big kid was amazing. You know, about nine and a half points a game last year while averaging, I think, under 20 minutes or something like that. I, and I couldn't... Other big guys at Syracuse that came in didn't average anywhere close to what he did as a freshman. And to you know, think of it as a sophomore, the plan was probably to have him move more to the forward spot and less at the five, which would give him more opportunities uh, offensively. Yeah, you know, he was, he was going to be a featured guy. It was going to be him and Tyus Battle. Speaking of changes in the offseason, Mike Hopkins takes the job at Washington, so that blows up the whole narrative we were all getting ready for this year. Jim Beheim's last season as head coach, although you always kind of looked at that skeptically, knowing he would find a way to stick around. So Mike's at Washington, Alan Griffin's in, as anticipated, kept it in the family, and, and he's found some early success on the recruiting trail, and it seems like, well, Mike Hopkins is not easy to replace. They've picked a very worthy candidate to do so. You know, and staying within the family, so to speak, it's... Um it, it, Alan Griffin comes in and he doesn't have to figure out what kind of player that Beheim wants and what he likes and what he looks for. He pretty much knows. And so right away, you know, he picks up a top 10 recruit in Darius Baisley, six foot nine power forward out of you know, Cincinnati, Ohio. He's very, very good. A lefty, he's going to remind you of like a, a left-handed John Wallace uh, type of player. He's, and so, the, yeah, a, a good way for Allen to get going. But I, I just think it's a seamless transition for him. He knows the system. He knows the defense. He knows Coach Beheim. He's very close with Adrian Autry. You know, they, they go back a long ways. Um, and remember, yeah, Allen was here for a short time before for a, for, for a few years as kind of like your, your graduate assistant, helper, you know, at whatever position he had back then. Um, I, I think he's a great hire and, and yeah, they're going to miss Hopkins. Hopkins had a lot of time invested here, and he was a great recruiter. And he was a great ambassador for the program, and not only did recruits and coaches and moms and dads like him, but the boosters and, and fans and stuff connected with him as well. And, and, and that'll be, you know, missed. But I don't know how much you have to work to replace that because that was just kind of a bonus that Hop gave you. Um, if they recruit and coach and do that stuff, they'll be fine. It does take away the element, though, Donna, of that known coach in waiting. And you, and you look at this roster of coaches, and with I want to bring up recruiting here in a moment. With Buddy coming in, Buddy Beheim, 
I mean, you would figure Jim, uh, God willing and health willing, will stick around another four or five years to, to coach his son. And then that question comes up again. Is the coach in waiting on this roster? Can they look at, at Adrian Autry or Jerry McNamara at some point and feel comfortable about giving them that title? That's the most interesting thing, I think, that's going to come up in the next few years. I mean, clearly Jim is going to be here till Buddy leaves. So that's another five years he will be here. And then what happens? Is Syracuse going to designate somebody as the next coach in waiting? Um, because I think it's going to really be impactful in terms of recruiting. I mean, Circus is having a fantastic recruiting year this year because everybody knows Jim Bayham's going to be here for five years. What's going to happen over the next three years or so, next two or three years, when it's fairly apparent that he's going to leave when Buddy leaves? You know, I, it's how Syracuse addresses their next head basketball coach to me is one of the most interesting things that's going to happen around that program over the next few years. There's a lot of recruiting, and knowing that Jim's going to stick around a few more years helps. I am intrigued mm-hmm. by the recruiting they're doing for next year. Because if this team struggles again, if they just can't get it together and have a similar year to last year where it's right down to the end about whether they're going to make the tournament or not, you've got that cushion of, look at this great recruiting class that's coming in next year. And it was added to in the future of recruiting with big news this week that a top 40 player in Jalen Carey chose Syracuse over Connecticut. Miami was in the mix for a while, but he eliminated them. So, you know, we brought up Buddy Beheim, we brought up Basley. What about Jalen Carey? What's uh, what's the four one one on uh, Syracuse's next big recruit? He's a dynamic uh, point guard who can score. Uh, I've heard him compared to Kyrie Irving, which is an easy comparison because they're both from Jersey. Ah, there you go. Yeah. But he liked the fact, and you can kind of learn more about what kind of player he is because he picked Syracuse because he's seen guys like him succeed before as well. Whether they played the point or whether they were the off guard, you know, guys like Dion Waiters succeeded because they had the ball in their hands. Uh, Michael Carter Williams would have the ball in his hands. Uh, Brandon Trish, ball in his hands. All that, you know, the Tyler Ennis, ball in you know. So he likes the fact that he's going to be given the keys to the car. Uh, he's really quick. He can get into the lane and really destroy defenses that way. And he shoots it pretty well. This past summer on the, on the Nike EYBL tournament, he shot it really well from three point range, which. Yeah, that's a good sign too. So, yeah, he he's a nice pickup, and you're right with the, the whole. I think part of it is that now the recruits aren't worried about who their next head coach is going to be, and we'll pick the conversation up with the recruiting class of 2021 and, and see what those recruits are being told. Um, I, I get the feeling that the whole designating a head coach and waiting and doing it like three years in advance. I don't, I don't think some people up at SU really love that. And including, I think, one person who had, by the end didn't love it was Hop himself. I think this became a huge burden on him. And I think towards the end, he, he knew that he didn't want to be the reason that his longtime mentor left coaching when maybe he wasn't quite ready. And Mike kind of felt that, knew that. I think that was a big part of why Mike left. I think one of the interesting things, too, is, you know, you're going to be recruiting players who may or may not fit in the system of the next coach. You know, so if you've got a coach who wants to play man, if you've got a coach who wants to push, if you've got a coach who wants to feed the post every, every, you know, two or three touches, you know, those kinds of players are going to be, could possibly be different from the players that Jim might be recruiting. You know, so the whole thing is intriguing. The most interesting thing to me over the next few years. I think... As, as opposed to the designating coaching waiting and setting a retirement date, I think the thing that might work out best for everybody is if Jim retires on like October 1st of some year down the road. And kind of like what Dean Smith did. Nice clean break. Yep. And 
you don't have to worry, and, and you pick who is going to, you know, whether it's an Adrian Autry in four years from now or a Jerry McNamara in four years from now, because who knows where those guys could go. You know, over the next two, three years, either one of those guys could be a head coach somewhere else because I think they're that good and, and getting, you know, both of them pretty close to ready. So whenever it is, 2021, 20, 2031, 20, 2131, <laughs> I've always felt confident that it's going to be that way, Mike. He's yeah. not going to do a retirement tour. I, I have always felt that Jim will, will step away before a season, not giving everybody the opportunity to, you know, here's your rocking chair and all that stuff that yeah. you get in these retirement tours. I've always got a sense that he doesn't want to go out that way, which didn't feel right about what this year was supposed to be. So now that that's out the window, I, I, I agree with your scenario there. I think it's right before a season, that's when it gets announced and, and the process happens. That I wasn't even thinking in terms of the rocking chair tour, but you're right. I think he absolutely would have hated going into other arenas and having, uh, you know, Mike Shashevsky come out and present him a framed Duke jersey with Bayheim on it. <laughs> that would be awesome, by the way. Please do that. Or a sport coat. At Duke, it should be a jacket, yes. right? Not, not a jersey. At Duke, it would be a jacket. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know if he'd love that all that much. You know, I do believe him, though. I do believe that every year he sits down after the season, he takes a few weeks to decide, you know, do I, do I feel like coming back? Do I still have the fire? Do I still have the interest in going, you know, on these recruiting trips? And do mm-hmm. I still have... I'm still interested in it, you know? I, I really do believe that that's what he does. Well, Buddy Bayheim is certainly going to spark that interest for the next four <laughs> years. And we will end on that note, guys. Cannot wait to read all the coverage. We're getting closer. We'll uh, catch up a couple times during the season and check in on this team. But uh, thanks for hanging with us today on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Red Sox, Red Sox, Red Sox. Let's go, Red Sox. Mike, what are those Orioles up to? Oh, sorry. Don't see them scheduled here. We're just hoping to re-sign Machado. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes to have new episodes delivered right to your iPhone, iPad, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll talk to you next time. I'm Brent Axe.